I don't often remember to do this, uh, but um, let's just take a moment and thank our worship team for sharing with us this morning, would you? And, and thank you, Anna, for sharing some of those exciting things that are coming up here. And, um, we're just excited about what God is doing. If, if you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I, as, as many of you know, if you've, if you've heard me up here very much, you, you know I grew up uh, in a Baptist church. I grew up in pretty conservative uh, Baptist circles. And so when we venture into a place like 1 Corinthians 14, uh, the Baptist in me gets a little bit nervous. As we start talking about spiritual gifts such as prophecy and speaking in tongues, we always kind of skipped over this uh, in, in, uh, in a lot of the churches I grew up in. It just, just, um, just kind of scared us a little bit. And uh, we, one of the things that we believe here is we believe in preaching the, the scriptures expositionally, working our way through books of the Bible, so I, I, I can't allow myself to skip over a passage that makes me a little nervous. But in all honesty, this is a difficult stretch of scripture to understand exactly what was going on in Corinth. From, uh, from about chapter 11 all the way through chapter 14, it's, it's, th- there are some cultural things going on that we don't really fully know and understand, but uh, there's a bit we can glean Today we're going to look at the spiritual gift of prophecy. We've talked a little bit about spiritual gifts already in chapter 12. Uh, We're going to have more to say next week as we um, dive in a a little bit more uh, uh, specifically on how how the gifts function in the church and how we can make sure that we're utilizing our giftedness and and operating in that way. And then the following week we're going to take a look at the gift of tongues as also talked about here in chapter 14. So there are some tricky passages. Um, I just want to say right at the outset... Um, I, I, I don't feel like I've, I've fully grasped this, this passage. In fact, um, um, my position on, on some of these issues has changed over the years, and I don't, I don't have the kind of confidence in where I'm at on these things as I do many other scriptural doctrines and teachings. There are many other uh, things that we can stand firmly on, whether we're talking about the deity of Christ or salvation by faith alone and Christ alone, uh, or some of the attributes of God that were, where I can, I can preach with much more confidence and boldness. Here on some of these passages, I, um, I, have some, I still have questions. Um, and, and so uh, as we look through this, I'll say we're not going to say everything that there is to say about uh, these issues, whether it's prophecy or speaking in tongues. Uh, that could be a whole, uh, an entirely, you know, complete sermon series. Uh, for some of you, we'll look at these things and you'll be like, okay, what's the big deal? I don't, know, I don't get it and let's move on. For others of you, this will be an extremely interesting topic and you wish we could spend more time. Um, and so probably there'll be uh, different positions here that will, uh, will be uh, not satisfied either way. I didn't spend enough time or uh, I spent a little bit too long even on one message uh, talking about the gift of prophecy. Um, I will say, too, that the, the different opinions that are on some of these miraculous gifts or sign gifts, as they're sometimes called, it shouldn't be a cause to divide the church. Uh, churches throughout history have divided for way too many reasons, and, and um, doctrine is, can be a, a good reason to divide when there's false teaching, when the Word of God is being distorted. But on some of these matters here that are up for debate, um, it's fine to debate them, it's fine to disagree, but we don't need to split over this. Uh, the United Brethren uh, in Christ, the denomination of which we're a part, um, 
allows for these, these spiritual gifts to be practiced. They're not, they don't try to put a lid on them or squelch them, um, but they also don't mandate that churches need to practice uh, the gifts of prophecy or speaking in tongues or healing and some of those things. And so they sort of take a middle-of-the-road issue on, on the matter. But I want to just begin by reading the first five verses here. And, and what Paul does is he, he, as he goes throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's going to go back and forth between talking primarily about prophecy and tongues. These are two gifts that were a major issue of contention in the Corinthian church. There was a lot of infighting over practicing these, and they were, they had, these gifts had been begun to be practiced in such a way that it was overshadowing everything else in their worship gathering, and other believers were being uh, silenced, uh, other practices were not being able to be expressed, and there was, they had really descended into general confusion. That's why he tells them later on in this passage, uh, let everything be done decently and in order, in order, because there was mass confusion going on as people were talking over one another and had gotten uh, so rowdy that it was not a, a, a worship service anymore. It was a sort of listen to me, me first uh, service. And so as we look at these first five verses, we hear the Apostle Paul telling the Corinthians, pursue love. Now that ties us back into chapter 13. So you see the connection there. So I want you to continue pursuing love and earnestly desire the spiritual gift. So we said that, that, that chapter 13, we, the love chapter, has to be seen in the context. And he wanted them to understand that in the expression of their spiritual gifts, they weren't loving one another. And they needed to see that love needed to, be, uh, to undergird everything that they did in their, in their worship gathering. So he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, and the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues and even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, if you're not familiar with the gift of tongues, we're, we're going to talk about it in two weeks, but it was just the ability to speak in unknown languages. And again, we'll flesh that out more uh, as we go forward. But that, just by way of context, there, there was like this supernatural ability to speak in a language that you didn't know. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 2. That's sort of the first time in the New Testament that it shows up. So here, as, as, we, as you walk through chapter 14, you see at the very beginning and then also towards the end, he urges the, um, the believers there in the Corinthian church to seek prophecy over against the gift of speaking in tongues because being understandable, a prophetic word can both edify believers and lead to the conversion of others. Paul longs for them to build one another up in the faith and he insists that the gift of prophecy is more powerful within the assembly of God's people. It has a greater effect on the gathered church. Now, prophecy shows up throughout the New Testament in a number of different places. Uh, prophecy can serve to declare the mighty works of God. We see that in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's sermon. Uh, we can see that it, it's given to praise and worship God. We see that in Acts chapter 19. Uh, it's given to encourage believers. We see that in Acts 15, and Paul is going to talk about that here in chapter 14. Uh, at times, it brings uh, unbelievers under conviction um, and, and can 
uh, point unbelievers to Jesus. Um, there were uh, times in Acts, in Acts chapter 11 and 13 and 21, where it was the gift of prophecy was given as a part of sending uh, missionaries out into the field, into the work of, of God. Um, and, and so prophecy turns up throughout, um, throughout the New Testament. But there are a lot of different views on what this gift actually is. And so I'm just going to just give you a, a few perspectives on prophecy. Again, this is not going to answer all your questions. It may create more questions than what it does uh, provide answers to. But there, there, there are actually a lot more views on, on what prophecy is than, um, than what we have here. But uh, first of all, uh, there are some who just see it as a synonym for preaching. That when you see this passage, he's just talking about uh, proclaiming the word of God. And they'll point to verse 3 there that says, On the one hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I was taught this view at Bible college. Um, and uh, they'll say, listen, that's exactly what a, a, a good sermon should do. It should build people up. It should encourage them. It can, should console them. Uh, that's, that's preaching. Well, he, I don't think, is defining prophecy here as much as he's showing his, the effects of prophecy. But that is, that is one viewpoint and, and one I held for a long time. Um, some see prophecy as uh, primarily predicting the future. Um, to be sure, some Old Testament prophecy is that. But as you read the Old Testament prophets, very little of it has to do with the future. There, there is certainly the, the messianic prophecies. There, there's prophecy about the future. But most of it was delivering simply God's message and, and proclaiming God's judgment in that specific context. Um, a prophecy is not simply predicting the future. Um, some see it as an infallible word from God, on par with Scripture. Um, that's why many conservative, Bible-believing Christians struggle with the idea that, that prophecy should still be practiced in the church. They reason, uh, and rightly so, if God is still speaking, then that means that we should leave some room in the back of the book, as it were, for extra ideas. There should be some blank pages that we fill in. And if someone says, I've got a word from God, then it's on par with Scripture, and we add to it. So you, you can understand why some would get, um, get uncomfortable with that, for sure. If we have to define the gift of prophecy as a word that's on par with Scripture, I would agree. That gift is not for today. We're not adding to the Bible. But I don't think that that's what the text here is saying. I don't think that that's the New Testament gift of prophecy, that when you hear a word uh, from the Lord or that you're uh, being... Uh, moved to exhort and to speak into someone's life, I don't think that we have to insist that it's on par with Scripture. In fact, we can't. We can't. The Word of God is, is, is final. It's, it's our revelation from God. We're not being given new Scripture uh, as God speaks to us. And so the fourth position is the position that I hold, at least as of this morning at 9.06 a.m. Uh, honestly, this is something that I've, I've wrestled with a great deal, and I've, I've over the years, I've gone back and forth, and as, I, as I've spent more time over it, uh, with it in the, in the recent months, um, I, I, I wrote something on it for seminary, and, and uh, this is where I've landed um, that uh, I like Sam Storms' definition, that prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is the human report of a divine revelation, the spreading forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. And as we look at 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'll explain a little bit more as to why I, um, why I hold that position. I don't think that we can make a distinction between, um, or I do think that we can make a distinction between what took place in the Old Testament and, and many of the prophets who spoke uh, revelatory words from God that were written as scripture and the spiritual gift outlined here by Paul. Wayne Grudem kind of fleshes this out further when he says, Paul thought of prophecy at Corinth as something quite different from the prophecy we see, for instance, in Revelation or in many parts of the Old Testament. There, a divine authority of actual words is claimed by or on behalf of the prophet. But the prophecy we find in 1 Corinthians, while it may have been prompted by a revelation from God, had only the authority of, of merely human words in which it was spoken. The prophet could err, could misinterpret, and could be questioned or challenged at any point, as we'll see here in the text. Uh, and another theologian goes on to say, Prophecy as a gift of the Holy Spirit combines pastoral insight into the needs of persons, communities, and situations with the ability to address these with a God-given utterance or longer discourse, leading to challenge, to comfort, judgment, or consolation, but ultimately for the building up of the hearers. While the speaker believes that such utterances and discourses come from the Holy Spirit, mistakes can be made. And since believers, including ministers or prophets, remain human, humanly fallible, claims to prophecy must be weighed and tested. Well, let me just say, I realize there are many who will disagree with those statements I just made. And that's okay. I would have disagreed with myself uh, at one point on, on those definitions as well. And that's okay. Um, if you, if you uh, contact me this week or send me an email um, saying, like, Pastor, I think you're dead wrong in how you're defining prophecy, and here's why I think you're wrong, um, and you're hoping for, like, a good fight, I, I probably will just say, you know what, you might be right. And you'll be super disappointed because I'm not going to fight you on it. <laughs> I could be totally wrong about this. Um, but based on where I'm at right now, this is how I, I think that the New Testament gift of prophecy is best explained. That it's a human report of a divine revelation um, uh, that is, is not at all on par with Scripture, that cannot be confused or uh, assumed to be adding to the revealed Word of God, but it's a spreading forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneous, spontaneously brought to mind. There are some things that, even though um, I do have some uncertainty on this matter, there are some things... There are some clear principles uh, that I think can be understood. Um, and, and the first one is that um, in the Bible, not all prophecy carries the same weight. Now, there's a lot that could be said here, and this could be a major rabbit trail, so I'm just going to mention this briefly. If you look over at Numbers chapter 11, um, and th there's a situation where um, you've, just, you've just come through... Um, the, uh, the quail, and you know, they had been complaining about uh, manna not being good enough. God had sent quail. And there were just some real issues of the people um, complaining and, um, and not, not listening to God. And, uh, and, and there was a, there's, a, um, there's a passage here. Let me see where to start. Verse, uh, verse 26 of chapter, Numbers chapter 11. It says, there, there were two men who remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. 
they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So this, this, there's this tattletale here who's worried about what they're doing, and he's like, Moses, Moses, they're prophesying. Verse 28 says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Whatever was going on, it concerned even Joshua. But Moses, verse 29, but Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit on them. Jump ahead in, in, in chapter 12 to verse 6. Mir, uh, Miriam and Aaron had just kind of confronted Moses, and they were opposing Moses. They were uh, upset about what he was doing, and they, they stood before him and, and rebuked him. And um, verse 5 says, The Lord came down in a pillar of, of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Lost my place. <laughs> uh, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Listen to what verses 7 and 8 say. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? What I want you to see there, what I think Numbers 12 is, is indicating, is that there are, are at least two different kinds of prophets. There are those who, who God says, I speak to them in a vision or in a dream. I speak to them through other means. But the prophet Moses, he got to speak with God face to face. He doesn't say that, that Moses is better than these other prophets. But there is definitely a different authority level. There is definitely a, a, a stronger picture with what Moses gets to experience and then what these other prophets experience. Both are prophets. One hears God through, through visions and dreams. The other prophet gets to speak with God face to face. Now, why is that important? Jump back to 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 36... Paul is still kind of helping set the, set the record straight and help the Corinthians understand how this gift should be practiced in their congregation, in their gathered meetings. And he says this in verse 36. Was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you only the ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or is spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. What is Paul saying there? He is saying that there is a different authority in the prophetic words that he spoke versus what the Corinthians were experiencing. The Corinthians were experiencing the gift of prophecy. But he says, listen, what you guys do and say amongst yourselves it needs to be measured by the message that I have delivered to you. I think that Paul is making the same distinction. This is, this is my opinion here. 
that Paul is making the same distinction as made back in Numbers chapter 12, that there was a gift of prophecy of God speaking through people, giving them, giving them words of wisdom to say, but it was not on par with the authority that could, that could speak the thus saith the Lord kind of messages. Paul says, measure your prophecy by the things you've received from me. Paul was not speaking out of pride. He wasn't saying, ah, my prophecy is better than your prophecy. But he recognized he had a divine authority that, that the, the church members there in Corinth did not have. And I, I have come to believe this is a crucial distinction if we believe that the gift of prophecy is to be practiced in our midst. I believe it's crucial to understand that in the Bible, not all prophecy carries the same weight. The words of the Apostle Paul were authoritative. They were scripture. Whereas the words of the Corinthians, as they prophesied, they had to be weighed and measured by the truth of God's word. If, as we practice this gift, if we believe that it's, it's to be practiced by the church today, that reminds us then that all, all prophecy, uh, anytime someone thinks that they have that gift and they're speaking a, a prophecy, a, a, word of, a word of prophecy, it has to be measured by the word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it needs to be discounted. That's why back in verse 29 here, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. We, we're not just to assume that it was authoritative or that it was, that it lined up with scripture. We were supposed to, the, the believers there were supposed to take it into account. Is this, is this biblical? Does this line up with what we know? Let the others weigh what is said. Uh, we could spend a lot of time continuing to talk about that, but the, the second principle that I want to mention is that it, it needs to be done in an orderly manner. And again, we're not going to linger there, but the Corinthians were all over the place, and, um, and, and there was just general mayhem with both the gift of tongues and prophecies. And that's why he says in verse two, uh, 29, let two or three prophets speak. Uh, let, let's just, just tone things down a little bit. It shouldn't be mayhem. And then number three, it needs to be spirit-directed. This is not manufactured. This is not something that... Um, that we're trying to conjure up so that we can get some attention or so that we can seem ultra-spiritual. If God wants to communicate something through us and we are sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing in our heart and life, He's, he's going to lead us in that way. It's not something that's manufactured. It's not something that, that we conjure up on our own. It's a, it's a God thing. I was listening to Wayne Grudem, who's, who's one of my favorite theologians, uh, share a story, and uh, he said um, one time many years ago, uh, uh, about 20 years into his marriage, he and his wife were out for a drive, and they got into a massive fight. And he said, I don't even remember what it was over, but we were just just going at it, and we were ticked, and we were, we were stewing, and um, we got home, and we just were not speaking. Um, we were, whatever the issue was, and he said it was probably stupid, but here we were just at odds with one another. Uh, they were living in Illinois at the time, and, uh, and they got to their house, and uh, they saw that when they got there, um, uh, one of their kids must have been home or something, but uh, someone had delivered a gigantic bouquet of flowers, not just, not just a little vase with a, a few roses, but he said it was a gigantic spread, and it was from a, a pastor friend of theirs in California, um, and the... the uh, their argument 
They had not told anybody about this argument. They had just been having in the car. They get home to this massive bouquet of flowers, and there was a note on there to Wayne Grudem's wife, Margaret. And the note simply said this, Margaret, God wants you to know you chose the right husband. (laughs) I don't think he said this in the podcast, but he had to have been like, yes. What would prompt somebody, number one, on the other side of the country to send flowers on that day of all days, and why would you write a note like that? Why would you be led to write that? Out of all the things that a pastor could write to a a fellow minister, why would you speak that, those words, to his wife? Throw a scripture on there. Hey, just thinking of you guys today praying for you. I, I don't, I, whether you call that the gift of prophecy or you have another label for it, it's, it's something where God was clearly involved and he knew that that couple needed a specific word of encouragement that day. And he spoke through this man on the other side of the country when that man had no idea what was going on. Uh, I, I, I think, my humble opinion, I think that that right there is the spiritual gift of prophecy. You may disagree. You may just say, hey, I think God's spirit was working that day. God was just working something out, and that's okay. But I, I think that that's, that's the gift in action right there. There are some definite pitfalls, though, and I just want to mention these briefly. There's, there are some, some issues that can come along that we need to be aware of. Uh, and the first, first one is men- mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and that is despising prophecy. Um, I struggled with this one for a long time. Uh, if, if, I, if I don't believe the gift of prophecy is for today, then, then um, I have a hard time on knowing what I do with this verse. And I, and I wrestled with that as I, as I, for a long time, didn't believe the gift of prophecy was for the church today. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. And so if, if we... Um, if, if we don't think it's a gift for the church today, we've got to explain why Paul would tell us like, how to handle prophecies, and that is don't despise them, don't just blow them off. Um, but if you do agree that prophecy is for today, we need to be reminded that uh, you know, when someone shares a word that they believe is from the Lord, that we don't just quickly write it off, especially if it, if it touches a, a part of maybe some sin that I'm harboring, maybe it's convicting, it's uncomfortable to hear. Uh, the temptation can be to just blow them off. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't despise prophecies. The second pitfall that we have to be aware of is that uh, we want to just, again, we've already said this, we want to make sure that we're not confusing prophecy with Scripture. And I've had this happen, um, and we have to be very careful with this phrase, God told me, God told me. Be very careful with that phrase. I'm not saying that we should never, ever use it. But I'm saying that we should use it very sparingly and very carefully. Um, when, we, when, we, when we say, God has told me to say this to you, man, be careful with those words. Uh, I, I much prefer like, hey, I just feel led to say this to you. I don't know if this makes, um, make any, makes any sense to where you're at today. I don't know if, if this is something that you need to hear, but I just felt led to say this to you. And then share it that way. Be very, very careful with saying God told me. Because here's what happens. If that doesn't bear out, if that doesn't, if that doesn't 
uh, uh, come to fruition, or if that's not accurate, what are we left with? Man, God said it. I was sure of it. Be very careful with that, that phrase. Uh, we need to know that as we share something that we may feel prompted to share with somebody, we need to be very careful that that doesn't hold the same authority as the Word of God. And so it needs to be tested by the Word of God, as we've said. And then, of course, we have to be on guard against false prophets. Uh, false prophets are a real thing. There are truly false prophets in this world. Um, there are those who are claiming to speak as mouthpieces for God, and they simply are not. And so this is a, uh, for believers, and especially elders in the church, are called to be on guard and alert for false prophets. But uh, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. This is why those words need to be tested by the word of God so that we can identify false teachers. As Christians, we want to be, be kind. We want to be gentle with people. But I'll tell you what, when you read the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, but the general epistles too, Jude, Second Peter, you come across with a very clear picture that there is no gentleness with false teachers. There is no, let, let's, let's be nice here. We don't want to hurt their feelings. After all, they're just, they're just probably little misguided souls. <laughs> read, like, you know, uh, read Philippians, read Galatians. Like, for the Judaizer, Judaizers, the, the people that were bringing, uh, adding circumcision to salvation, Paul says, let them be accursed. He says, I, I wish that they would castrate themselves. Like, Paul is not beating around the bush as, as he speaks with the strongest language possible about those who distort the word of God. And so as, belie as believers living in the 21st century, you know, we, we've, we've, we've been pounded with political correctness over the years. We have to be so careful that that doesn't soften our tone when it comes to false teachers. It is good to be kind to one another. We, we, some, some, I remember something about that from 1 Corinthians 13. I'll have to go back and look at that. We, it should be, we should be kind with one another. We should be patient with one another. We need to be gentle with one another. But when it comes to false teachers, all those things are thrown out the window. The Apostle Paul, John, um, 1 John chapter 4, he reminds us to test, these, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone on in the world. Test, examine. That's why we need to know the word of God, know the scriptures. So when we hear something that sounds off, we come back to the word of God, we're, we're like, no, that's wrong. We cut it off, not give them a foothold, not give them a voice in the church. A lot more we could say about false prophecy, false teachers, but I need to wind this down here. The purpose of, purpose of prophecy, the purpose of the gift of prophecy, as we read in verse 3, is to build up, to encourage, to console. These words all come together to create this picture of spurring one another on, of strengthening each other spiritually. It's, it's an act of, uh, that, that word encouragement is an act of emboldening one another to belief or a course of action. That word uh, consoling, it, it, it means to be a source of encouragement to those who are downcast or grieving. It's very, very important that we 
we recognize that the gift here is not in any way to put the spotlight on ourselves or to exalt ourselves, but it's to build one another up, to encourage one another. I'll tell you, uh, I just want to read a brief story from Sam Storms about how he experienced encouragement through the gift of prophecy. He said in January of 1991, he was attending a large conference in Anaheim, California. He said, at that time, I knew very little or had experienced even less of the gift of prophecy. On the final day of the conference, I was invited to join about 50 other people in a private room. And there I watched and listened attentively as a group of some four individuals prophesied to each other, uh, to to each of those in the room. Uh, When my turn came, I had no expectation that anything supernatural was about to occur. One of the four men, none of whom I'd ever met or heard of before, looked intently at me and said, I'm going to tell you what you've been praying in your hotel room these past few nights. And I have a strong sense from the Lord that he intends to answer your requests. Storm's right. Well, he, he certainly had my attention. And what followed was my first encounter with the gift of prophecy. This man quoted back to me my prayers verbatim. I'm not talking about a general summary or a paraphrase, but the precise words that I had privately prayed to God the previous two nights. And then he proceeded to describe what was happening in the church in Oklahoma where I was serving as a pastor. He said, if I may use the words of the Apostle Paul, I was profoundly encouraged, edified, and consoled. In that moment, this pastor had been built up, had been encouraged, had been edified, had been strengthened through this prophecy uttered by another believer. Again, we can be skeptical, we can try to find some other explanation, but uh, as far as I know, he has no reason to make that story up. Um, There are some other principles that we just don't have time to, um, uh, or some other purposes that we just don't have time to spend time over. Uh, Sometimes uh, prophecy can serve as a warning 